Hi, my name is Titi Mutendi and you are listening to Enterprising Families Podcast. Welcome to the world of Enterprising Families where we discuss the issues of governance, next gen and looking at how families of wealth and family businesses growing into families of wealth can preserve their wealth, become better as they go forward into a new generation. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of Enterprising Families. And on this episode of Enterprising Families, we have a very hot topic which we're going to be discussing with Dr. Jamie Trager Muni. And this topic is around women and money, more so when she has the money. What happens when the woman is the wealthy part in the relationship and is bringing money to the table? And this can apply whether she comes from a family of wealth already or she has built her own wealth and um, she's looking for love, finds love and gets married. What does that look like? What does the journey to that look like? And I'm so excited to have Jamie with me today. And we're going to be discussing this and going deep into some of the research that she's already done on this topic. So welcome, Jamie. Thank you. So delighted to be here. And I am going to allow you to introduce yourself and the incredible work that you've been doing, especially more so um, looking at you've come to discuss a very sensitive topic on enterprising families. Yes, well, I tend to like to go for as sensitive of topics as I can. I think sometimes um, my uh, purpose in life is to root out some of the taboo subjects and make them more accessible because as a clinical psychologist, I really realized that um, a lot of the problems in our society come from not having the ability to openly talk about our own experience. So I come to this work both professionally and personally. Um, My profession, as I said, I'm trained as a clinical psychologist, I have a PhD. Um, And my personal background is that I come from a family of wealth. I'm in the second generation. Um, So I find it very interesting. And I'll also say when I first started, I work now more as a consultant and a coach, not doing therapy. But what really got me into this field is that I realized that my clients were coming to talk to me about everything. They talked to me about sex, but when it came to talking about money and and I was in a fairly affluent area, um, there were crickets and nobody talked about the money. And as soon as I started asking questions or giving my clients permission to talk about their wealth, particularly my inheritor clients, um, and I would always say something like, tell me one gift and one challenge that comes with having wealth. And their eyes would just go wide because they've never been given permission, A, to talk about it at all, but B, to talk about that there's certain challenges. Um, And so, you know, that silence was just deafening for me. And I built my practice in giving clients the ability to have voice to things that have 
traditionally been silenced. And, um, you know, now I'm doing research on this subject of when the woman comes to the relationship with money, because I see so many of my clients struggling with it. And it's such a huge taboo for them. Yes, I think it's, it's, it's a universal uh, problem where wherever you go in the world, we have traditionally, in, in most countries, I'm not saying all of them, and most societies, you find that men take the leadership role in, in everything. And slowly we're having more and more women who are coming to the forefront as leaders. And it's, it's, it's in different um, industries and spaces. However, when it comes to actual wealth, wealth is a sensitive subject because we know that money typically controls the conversation, no matter where it is that you go. And uh, we even have sayings around the fact that you let your money do the talking. And so what happens when you have somebody who grew up in a family of wealth and their, their parents um, or their, their the generation before them builds an obscene amount of money and now they have to go into the society and it, it already comes with it, with its own pains and and struggles because you may um, attend schools where you are probably the wealthiest you may attend um, universities where you're trying to hide the money the shame that that uh, that people feel with having more resources than other people around them. And what is your observation being, especially when people start now looking for life partners, for love, for people that they are going to spend the rest of their lives with. And they're obviously the female looking for love, which is different when we've always seen, um, and it's always been narrated that when men have wealth or young uh, billionaire playboys or millionaire playboys, you have women flocking to them. What is the experience when it is women? It's such a great question. First of all, I will say that, um, you know, both my male and female clients struggle with, with these topics. And having said that, I will say that women struggle much more because there still is that kind of um, unspoken hierarchy and power dynamic that, you know, the man is su supposed to bring the wealth. Um, and it's amazing how much that operates for us in the back of our mind. We don't know it's, it's operating us, but it really comes forward. Um, so, you know, the women that I work with in particular, um, really struggle about, particularly when they're, as you talked about the journey, when they're going into a relationship, at what point do you start to introduce the topic? Um, how do you introduce the topic? How do you talk about, if you're from a family enterprise, the unique um, responsibilities of stewardship and shared um, fiduciary responsibility? How do you help somebody who doesn't come from that world understand, you know, um, so many of my clients, if their family's having a meeting, their partners are, they don't understand that at all. And why would they? Because, you know, if you don't grow up with family meetings, it would be hard to understand the purpose of it and the, the need for governance structures. Um, but 
not knowing how to frame these subjects up just makes the taboo that much stronger and keep, you know, wherever you are on the wealth spectrum, um, money is the number one thing that, that couples fight about. And again, it's because they don't have these really important conversations. Um, and oftentimes we don't even know what our own relationship is with money and our own struggles with money. So then if we go into a relationship with somebody else who doesn't know their own money stories and their own challenges, how could, and we don't talk about it with each other, you know, you can just see how it can be a recipe for stress and being a problem. Yes, absolutely. And what are some of the ways that you've seen couples that face such issues? Um, or maybe let, let me start from where I was when, you, when you're still dating. What are some of the ways that you see have helped in sensitizing partners into what they're going to be walking into or um, the, the wealth that is um, going to be available to them and to what extent it's going to be available to them? Because um, we always assume and with, with most normal relationships, when we get married, um, we then bring our financial resources together and we start building together in, in most cases. And um, that, that works, in, I think, in a normal world where, where you, you're both coming from a similar uh, financial background and there's not the complications of, of wealth. As we as wealth advisors know how important um, it is to have that governance and to then put in structures things like uh, post-nuptial, pre-nuptial, and so forth, which is not um, what everybody does. For sure. Yeah, I think you're really asking two questions. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to separate them out. Yeah, sure. um, I would say the first question I heard you asking is more about how do you gently start to um, open up about who you are in the dating process and let, you know, your, your partner start to be aware of the background that you come from. Um, and it's really hard because as you spoke about early, earlier, there really is, tends to be, especially with the clients that I work with that want to come and have the conversation, shame and um, fear, a lot of fear of being judged. And, you know, I'll give you an example from my own life that um, I dated a man in college and we had been dating for a a couple months and things had been pretty serious and we both said we loved each other. Um, and then I brought him home. And as we were driving up the driveway to my house, he said, oh, wait, stop the car. And I said, you know, what's going on? He said, oh, my God, he looked at my house and he said, um, you're not the person I thought you were. Um, and in that moment, you know, I just was so like, oh my God, we're about to meet my family. And all of a sudden you're having this. And I almost never have the right thing to say at the right time. But in this moment, I had the exact right thing. I don't know how it came to me, but I turned to him and I said, listen, Kevin, nothing about me has changed except your perception of who I am. 
because I knew, I, I've always known that this is the house that I grew up in. I, I know the wealth. The only thing that's changing right now is you're seeing a different side of me. And he, you know, God love him. He got it in that moment that the person that he'd fallen in love with was still the first, the same person. He was just now starting to be able to see different aspects of who I was, but that that didn't change who I was, you know, in my soul, in my heart. Um, and I think that we really have to start to develop mentally, open up about things. You don't want to just open the floodgates and say, what's going on, you know, um, but you can do it slowly. You can start to um, almost drop hints, you know, about that. If, if you come from a family business, particularly, you know, we're a family, we work together, we're multiple generations. Um, you know, today people look up so many things about each other, but slowly starting, you know, I realized that maybe there was a different way I lived at college um, than what I could have potentially access to. But, you know, how can we slowly, and I often say to my, you know, I, I often guide my clients to be really upfront and say, you know, I'm worried that if I tell you certain things about myself, you might judge me for what I have instead of who I am. And I really want to be judged for who I am. So you're already, you know, laying the groundwork in the conversation for somebody to be sensitive. Um, and I think that also I say to my clients too, it's much better to find out in the dating process that, you know, all the, this fear that you have that maybe you're going to be judged negatively or you're not going to be seen in the same light. Mm -hmm. You want that to come out when you're dating. You don't want yes. that to come out after you're already married. Yes, um, yes, yes. So, you know, those conversations are so important. I think the second question that you're talking about, um, and this is often when I start seeing couples, is when it comes to being engaged and planning a wedding, and especially if there's a prenup, and it's a different kind of conversation. And then, you know, the finances really get laid out in a legal document. So then, and oftentimes, you know, I've had couples come to me um, because they are about to break off the, the engagement. Because first of all, maybe the spouse is so, or the fiance is so offended about the request for a prenup and they feel like, you know, well, why is this being asked of me? There's a lack of trust. So I really take care with my clients about how do you go about asking for a prenup? How do you lay the groundwork of why this is being requested? Um, and especially the families that I work with that um, if you can have in your governance bylaws that this is just what we do as a family and it's already established. It has nothing to do with you, Paul, or you, Joe. Um, it's, you know, this is just part of what it means for me to be part of this family. That can help diffuse it. But really being able to start to discuss 
Um, what is it like for that partner to be asked those things? Um, you know, so many of the couples that I work with, it's a real burden even for them to hire their own lawyer because it's expensive. So, you know, they really feel that power differential of you're coming to me with a legal document that is written by your family, how does my family, um, you know, and I know at least in the United States that, um, you know, families, sometimes the, the, the family with the wealth wants to pay for the lawyer, for the partner, um, but that legally can be tricky too because it can be seen as like self-dealing. So, um, you know, these things really need to be discussed and people's feelings need to be heard. And oftentimes I find that's when my clients really benefit so much from coming and doing work with me because it's a safer environment with somebody helping to mediate the conversation um, and really um, dig in and also to normalize that there are going to be a lot of ambivalent feelings and that it's okay to have those ambivalent feelings. You don't have to stuff them. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that you have um, spoken on so many interesting and, and I think sore points. At what point do you, have you seen or have you observed that um, sometimes um, conflict begins because there's a feeling of um, you've taken away the role of provider from me, especially from the the male spouses. Yeah, I, I think that I, I think that definitely happens. I think how conscious the couple is about that what's going on below the surface, you know, sometimes they'll say, I feel emasculated, um, which really allows for a conversation, um, not only about what is the meaning of the wealth in your life and um, how is it going to work in your life. When I work with, with clients and particularly with couples, I help them uncover their money narratives So what are the stories that they grew up with about what the role money plays in our life? What, you know, since we don't talk about it, we don't know. So our money can run us sometimes and we don't even know how it's working in an unconscious level. So I help clients become more conscious about um, the mythology that they hold around money. Then I help them think out into the future as to what do they want? This is what you grew up with. So when you're conscious of what you grew up with, you can say, yes, I I agree to move to take this idea forward, but not this idea. So what is it you want to create as a couple in terms of how you view money and power? Um, You know, power is a big part of it too, because often, especially in a family business, that family plays such a large role, whether it be they're taking the, you know, the couple on expensive vacations or there's family meetings that have to be attended. So how do you equalize that? And, you know, there's a lot of, we can pull from a lot of the research of couples 
that have different kinds of mixes, be it, um, you know, a biracial couple or a couple from two different religions. You know, there's a lot of research on how to make marriages successful with those kind of differences, you know, couples with different ethnicities. But there's so little real research on looking at couples when the woman comes with the money. And that's why I'm doing the research that I'm doing, because, you know, we can say anecdotally from the clients that I work with, this is what what we see and this is what works. But I really want to move the profession beyond that point of anecdotal observation to really looking from a structured research perspective of what does the data show us. Um, And I've been amazed even in doing this research, um, how many times, uh, how hard it's been to get subjects. People will, you know, I know that this is a big issue, Um, but then clients will call me or potential subjects will call and, you know, they'll be whispering from one room because they don't want their husbands to hear. And maybe they're willing to participate, but they don't want to ask their husbands because it's too hot of a topic. So exactly the problem that we're trying to work on with this research of what are the real issues and how can we help couples um, navigate them is also what's been the most challenging for us in this research, because people are afraid to step up, even though the the research is totally anonymous. It's still so threatening even to have those conversations. And I will say that the couples that have participated have across the board felt like it's been so eye-opening and such a relief to have a space to talk about these issues and to understand, because everybody that's doing um, the research with me also comes from a financially diverse relationship in which the woman comes with the money. So they have that firsthand experience. So feeling like they, these subjects, feeling like they can let their guard down and really talk honestly to someone else who's in that situation, that in and of itself has been so healing for a lot of the the subjects that we've interviewed. And I'm just thinking from what you're saying, um, and um, I think it's more of um, trying to identify what are the pain points? What makes us feel embarrassed about wealth? What makes us feel embarrassed about not having it? Uh, what makes us um, feel embarrassed by of, of having it? Because on both ends of the spectrum, when you have a person who has it, they feel that embarrassment of, um, am I going to be judged based on it? And when somebody doesn't have it, you have that feeling of, am I going to be um, judged on um, the feeling of, I don't have resources. And now already you have a comp- the complexity of a romantic relationship. You have their ups, you have your downs. And um, anytime you feel you have to, to tone yourself down or have to walk in, in, in shame of having or not having, how do you create that bridge? How do you um, start 
broaching those conversations and making the other person comfortable and also consciously because when we're angry sometimes we then tend to leverage on the things we do or don't have mm-hmm. how do we yeah. navigate those things such a great question again i think there's kind of two parts to that question as i'm hearing it the first part is really just acknowledging that we live in a world that almost deicize deicizes money. You know, we put it on such a pedestal and we are constantly bombarded in the media with wealth. And, you know, we live, whether we recognize it or not, we live with this constant message of the more money you have, the better. But that's really a fantasy that does not bear out in the research. And in fact, the research shows that there is a greater standard and quality of living with more wealth, but only up to, and again, this is is research based in the United States, um, but up to a point of about $75,000 a year. Um, and then after you reach that level, it, it just levels off. More money does not bring more happiness. And so $75,000 a year is not anybody who's in a very high wealth status. Um, people are always shocked, you know, if I would say, how much do you think, where do you think that point is where it levels off that if you made this much a year, you know, you've reached the peak of your happiness, people would say much higher, you know, millions. So um, that's, again, another reason why I think it's so important to really be working from a research perspective. So we have to start to work in our societies to change that message. I mean, so often when people hear what I do, they look at me confused and say, well, I don't understand what problems do wealthy people have? Why would they need to talk about it? And they don't understand that there are unique challenges or even they can't understand that there could be. So, you know, we have to really break that message of more. If I only had more money, my life would be better because that's a fallacy. So that's the first thing. The second thing is um, now I have to remember what the second thing, the second part of the question was. Um, that I wanted to hit on. Um, I think you were asking how to deal with it within couples. Yes. How do we start um, addressing it and, and, and trying to functionally work as a couple besides everything else we have to deal with? How do we stop ourselves from then using our lack um, or um, overcompensating and, and all the things that come with trying to, what can I say? Trying to hide or so trying to hide that I have access or trying to hide that um, I don't have. Right. So I like to sum it up with what I call the three C's. So the first C is courage. You have to have courage to move into the conversation. And you can look for those opportunities that naturally come up. You know, I gave the example of a boyfriend in college 
that was a natural opportunity for us. We sat in my driveway for a long time and talked about, you know, what he now thought was different about me just by seeing my house. And, you know, I let him ask questions and we talked about it, but that was kind of, it was courageous for him to say, whoa, this is, you know, kind of big for me. And it was courageous for me to say, well, let's think about how it's a, a, a piece of perception that you're having. So, you know, I think that's a huge, if you can, if you can get over that hurdle of starting to have more open conversations and being vulnerable. And again, I think you can always pre- load the conversation by saying, I have to tell you that this is a really vulnerable subject for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm nervous to bring this conversation. And I know that it's important. The second C is curiosity. So instead of, you know, he made this pronouncement, you're not the person I thought I was, you know, Mm -hmm. and I said to him, well, you know, just your view has changed with me. But then I got curious, like, what do you, instead of telling him things, asking him, what, what do you see has changed about me? Or what do you worry is changed about me? Mm. Um, you know, so the more we can come from a place of curiosity versus certainty, um, and this is a big lesson in any kind of discussion, the, the more you're in certainty in a discussion with somebody that closes down conversation. Because if I say, this is how it is, there's not a lot of room to, to talk about it. But the more we can stay in curiosity, mm. that opens up conversation. So, mm. you know, asking questions, allowing people, you know, I'm curious, how do you feel seeing, seeing my house and knowing this new piece about me? Um, are there questions you want to ask me? Mm. That really helps and, and, and even if you start to be sensitive and somebody gives you an answer, you can say, wow, it's that that's painful for me to hear. And I still want to stay open. Mm. So that's the second one. Courage, curiosity. And then the third, which is, you know, really the overall umbrella for all of this is communication. We have to have open communication. Mm. Um, it doesn't matter what the subject is. Every relationship you're in, romantic or otherwise, Mm -hmm. is benefited with honest conversations. And the hiding, like you said, takes up so much energy. If Mm -hmm. we have to wear a mask and walk around in our relationship with a mask, hiding who we are, or, you know, I worked with with a woman who uh, they ended up getting divorced over their their money differences. And she said, you know, as soon as her kids went to college, because she said for all those years, we stayed together because we just never talked about it because I was so worried about the fight that would happen. We just we just ignored it. Um, and then when she had the courage to bring the conversation, he wasn't willing to have the conversation. But, you know, she really said, I wish I had known that years before because I wasted so much time mm. being afraid of learning who he really was and how he viewed. So, um, you know, while that might seem like a reason not to communicate because they ended up getting divorced. Mm-hmm. You know, my client really felt like she had been living a false life to begin with. 
um, because they haven't had those conversation and feels like it was much more authentic for her to be honest and to find someone to partner and be her partner that was willing to accept her for who she, for who she was. Mm-hmm. And that makes a lot of sense because at the end of the day, all we truly are looking for is someone who will accept us for who we truly are and who allows us to show up as who we truly are. And um, it's not always um, packaged in the way that we expect it to come in. But um, how then, I think my, my last question for you would be, how then would you advise people to, especially um, men who find themselves in, in a, a situation where they are intimidated and feel like they want to carry on the relationship, but they're not quite sure of their own position. What is um, the best way they can navigate this space? Another great question. I think the best way is to start out doing your own work and working with um, a therapist, a coach, a consultant, but somebody who really specializes in the field of wealth psychology um, and who allows you to explore your own feelings in a safe environment um, without judgment. Once you get a sense of your own views about money and wealth and are able to see how it's connected to how you were brought up and to think about how you wanna have a relationship to money and wealth in the future, then you can start to work together as a couple to say, you know, who are we each as individuals and who do we want to be as a couple and how do we want to, what are the values we want to bring to our family? You know, again, it's, it's those three things, C's of being willing to have the courage, to have the curiosity, and then to really do the work of communicating um, that allows for really solid, positive relationships and really gives, you know, what's, what's very confusing to kids is when parents have very different views about money and what its uses are, because then they don't, you know, they get double messages and that, you know, that can be um, very challenging for kids growing up because it's hard for them to know what values they should then attach to money. Absolutely. And um, any parting words, any way that people can get hold of you, especially more so to um, have more voices contribute to the research that you're doing in this space, because I think it's it's something that is necessary and um, will help um, navigate um, a lot of portholes that um, we stumble upon in life. Yes, thank you for asking that. Um, I will say my... um... My uh, practice is called the Wealth Legacy Group. People can find me at wealthlegacygroup.org. And again, I think it's really important. So many of my clients, when they first come to me, they said, I have no, I I had no idea that this even existed, that there is even a field of wealth psychology. Um, You know, maybe I've worked with a coach or I've worked with a therapist and we never talk about the money. Um, And 
within that, there is a landing page about our financially diverse couples research project and a place that you could sign up to get more information. I would love to have more um, people signing up, more people to interview, because the more subjects we have, the more robust the data will be and the more we can develop programming to support couples in financially diverse relationships based on real research, not just anecdotal observation. Absolutely. Thank you so much once again. Thank you. It was a pleasure.